Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Viguru. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 14, Nightmare. Let's get this show on the road. Before we get started with the episode, we do want to offer a content warning for our listeners. Because of the nature of the episode, we will be discussing domestic and child abuse, as well as suicide. If those aren't topics that you're feeling comfortable with right now or at all, you might want to come back for this episode a little later or skip it entirely. Take care of yourselves. Take care. So, Drew, that was a big episode. What did you think? Yeah, before we even get started, this is, I think, the first time in a while that, one, I had zero idea going in what I was getting into. Like, I maybe watched this episode or, okay, I kind of, this one was completely, like, like, I'm legitimately convinced I maybe just didn't watch this episode my first Mm -hmm. run through. Like, maybe it just got skipped or wasn't one that I watched or was the week I was away, so I skipped it. Like, I don't know, but I have no recollection. (laughs) So then it was a really good surprise i guess or maybe not good surprise but there was definitely some shock value to it oh yeah oh yeah no no i record myself watching every episode for anyone who doesn't know it's just in case we ever need the content uh mary thinks i sound funny when i do it and she likes the idea of having those on record and i told her before you recorded there is a loud expletive in the middle of this recording (laughs) because at that moment i was legitimately like what the f are you ready recap all right three two one go we start with sam having another premonition dream in this dream he is seeing someone suffocate in their car uh we just think this is something supernatural only because he's dreaming about it he convinces dean to just get on the road and go unfortunately they get there too late uh they dress up as preachers to go attend a funeral uh service to uh learn more about what's going on and find that there's no real like spirit or specter there's nothing haunted about the house everything just seems like this isn't supernatural, but then why was Sam dreaming about it? And then he has another dream nightmare, but while awake and sees the previous victim's brother get murdered in a much more bloody fashion, which we'll get to later. Um, and he kind of sees something like in the house with him, like he's not alone. There's clearly something there, which we as the audience see as well. Um, they go to try to stop him. They can't in time and he dies they then think uh, it must be a connection to the son. So they go to look into his past and find out that his father and brother were beating him. And they're like, okay, it must be connected to them somehow. And then he has his third and final nightmare, Sam, again while awake and finds out it's actually the son who is using telekinesis to murder people who wronged him and is now about to murder his uh, stepmother and Zelda and they go and they try to save her and things don't go exactly as planned. They learn some interesting secrets about each other and some connections that why they may be linked in some way. And then they try to save the day, but unfortunately sad ending and I'll kind of end it there. All right. 19 seconds left. Yeah. I felt like I was getting close and just sort of rambling and the ending is just a lot to unpack. And I figure we'll do better discussing it than me trying to ramble it off. It's so much to unpack. And I mean, I found just in terms of like first impressions upon rewatching this this week, 
I realized that for the first like 15 minutes of the episode, I took zero notes. There was nothing that I wrote down, jotted down or anything like that. It all happens in like those two late thirds, I guess. Yeah, I would even go as far as saying as how so much of this is just anticipation and buildup and mystery, which I love. Like it, it says something when there's so much to discuss in my recap that I'm like nervous. But yes, stuff happens, but nothing crazier than a normal episode. It's just that it's a lot and mystery and intrigue. And they pay it off quite well by the end, I'd say. To a certain degree, that also is very true of the whole season because we're in episode 14 and only now are we starting to really understand the things that were pl very subtly planted in previous episodes. You know, the story, the, the overarching story is finally starting to pick up. Which makes sense because we needed time to really... I, like I, we, we have done so much to analyze these brothers and the world and their lives we are now at a point where we know them so well. We've seen the good, the bad. We've seen the what they show to the world, what's hidden inside. We've learned secrets and mysteries about them that they're really fleshed out. We can now start to explore beyond them into their world and their life. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just say this in terms of the long game. The only thing that I'll mention right now is that we have our very first blood splatter. And a hell of a blood splatter, I might say so myself. Story-wise, I see a lot of notes and I understand why. <laughs> because this is a very Sam-centric episode. Yes. But more than just Sam, it is like foundational level mythology and lore mm -hmm. being very abruptly handed to us, like peeking at the first page of what is to be a whole novel. Yes, I think that's such a beautiful and visual way to put it. This episode really, like you said, is very Sam-centric. Like I barely have any notes about Dean in here. And most of the notes that I have about Dean are really related to Sam. So um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything you want to start off with? I'd rather let you lead, let me follow, because I just want to jump right to what I assume is going to be the end of story time. If we go again chronologically, we're seeing another instance of Sam freaking out and then Dean trying to ground him, right? When they're in the car, they're going to try to save Roger Miller, who's uh, the uncle, Max's uncle. Yeah. Sam is spinning out, right? And Dean goes, you know, we face the unexplainable every single day. This is just another thing. And this is really reminiscent of what happened in Home where he says, if this was any other case, what would we do? So we're getting that dynamic again of Dean trying to, to keep Sam grounded. But in this case, and you know, in that episode, we were actually wondering what makes this case so different for Sam? Well, I think we have our answer. Because Sam replies, it's never been us. In that exact scene you were describing, the line that Sam feeds Dean, which is the, can you seriously tell me this isn't freaking you out? And... Dean eventually does say, I'm not freaked out. I don't think anyone on this planet would believe him. But at the end of the day, he's saying what he knows Sam needs to hear. And I think even if we can all look at it and go like, I don't believe you. And even if Sam maybe understandably doesn't believe him, at least hearing it calms him down because he needs it. And that is just Dean stepping up and being what Dean's always been, being the older brother, being a, a parental guardian almost. Mm -hmm. It's an act of love. It's an act of love, yes. And I think in that moment, we really see uh, some more of Dean's true colors. And that's really, the, that was my big Dean takeaway from this episode, is just that 
I think he could, like, in a more calm moment, turn to Sam and go, yeah, I'm freaked out. We'll figure it out. We'll deal with it. It's not as freaky as other things we've seen. It's freakier because it's you, but it's something we are going to deal with. And in a calmer moment, I think could have been a really good bonding moment. But given the panicked moment, he knew it was better to just lie. And I think that there's also a part of him, you know, this is just another instance, I guess, of Dean saying one thing, but then meaning another. There's a lot of reasons why he does that. And in this case, like we discussed, I think it's an act of love. It's a way of of making sure that Sam is comfortable or more comfortable than he currently is. It's a way to make sure that he's still functional. I want to talk about their reaction to finding out that Max's dad used to physically abuse him. Uh, you know, we hear the sentence, he was a mean drunk. I feel like when I hear stories like that, my first foremost reaction is to express surprise, then sadness, and then anger. But if you look at their reactions, the boys really jump directly to anger. And I think that kind of ties in with another moment later, which is uh, Sam kind of being thankful for the way John raised them. Mm -hmm. As much as we've seen that this wasn't an ideal living situation, this wasn't the ideal childhood, especially for Sam, who inevitably ran away from it. I think they both realize how close they were to having that Mm -hmm. and how they have seen someone basically, they're basically seeing what John could have been through that description, even before they understand the other connections. They're just seeing a father who drinks and rather than, you know, helping and protecting and raising his kids has turned to abusing them. There is just an immediate level of like, that does not work that way. Like, they skip past the other stages because the other stages are basically just gateways to get to the anger. This is them skipping right to the anger because they understand fundamentally how wrong it is. Yeah, I and I, I agree with you on that. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because whenever I jump straight up to, to anger when I hear something that's upsetting is because it's something that I've experienced. I was wondering if that's possibly something that they could relate to personally. There's also, just a little later, right after that, there's a a clash between Sam and Dean about what to do about Max. Dean wants to kill him and Sam doesn't. And I think that this is an important conversation to have because this is now the second time that Dean is suggesting that they should kill a human being and that Sam opposes it. And I wonder if we could maybe like scratch at that a bit. I think there's two important points in this and this is one that really stuck out to me the very surface one is kind of like the one we had in faith which is just the idea of killing a human even if they are doing something albeit evil or dark or whatever it's just a level of dean sees this as this is a supernatural thing like he almost removes the humanity from this thing as soon as it becomes a supernatural entity whether it be summoning a reaper or using powers to hurt people. This is now a supernatural creature, regardless of whether it may have once been human or not. And to Sam, no, it's still a human, but even more importantly, the thing Dean is saying, let's kill is very much a Sam. Bingo. In the previous episode where we discussed this, this was in faith. There was no real connection between the healer and the boys, but here Max 
truly is, I mean, he's a dark mirror for Sam. We'll talk about that a bit later, but Mm -hmm. Sam sees himself in him. And not even like a little bit, like way too clearly. Yeah. Dean is literally saying, if I come across anyone with psychic powers, oh, they better beware because I'm going to murder them. And Sam's all like, um, me? Please don't. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows like the way that Dean on the surface is seeing things as very black and white. Mm -hmm. And this is a, this speaks so much to his character too, because after all of this or during this journey, I guess, he's going to develop like a much more gray area, I guess, vision of things when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, that's a monster in my book. So it, Again, I think that there would be a really interesting analysis to be done about that. But this is a Sam episode. We said we were talking about Sam today. But even just from a story perspective of, I mean, this is someone who was raised like a soldier. You yeah. hear these, I mean, you hear these horror stories. You see it in film and TV and you just, you hear stories about it of people doing things during war. They look back on later and suffer from knowing they've done these things to these people it's like, yeah, that's an enemy soldier. Your job is to make them not alive anymore. You do what has to be done. But then when you have to come back to reality, you leave w- these war zones, you come back to a normal life, you think you, have, you live with the fact that you killed somebody. Dean is, as we've been using these metaphors in the past, is very much like a soldier in John's eyes. He has been given an order by John that supernatural things that do bad need to be taken care of. That he's able to look past the, so what if it's a human? It's doing bad. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm not excusing it. No, 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 no. But that's it. It's it's not Dean's fault, I don't think. It is a matter of how he was raised. This is a clear sign of nurture versus nature. Nurture is what's causing this. And part of why there's such a good balance between him and Sam, why Sam is so different from Dean, is he got away from all of this. He learned... On his own, he found his own natural place of learning in his own life and was raised with better morals. Hmm. Well, with Dean's morals. How did you feel when you heard Max telling the story of how his mom died? That, as I alluded to, was my big what the F moment and legitimately took me out of like complete blindside i had zero oh my god and it was just like i can picture that moment of him being like why would your dad blame you for your mother's death well she died in my nursery and that was like you can picture me like in my chair like getting up like what and then describing exactly how and just what i mean Up until now, we've had two cases, both revolving around Sam. It never really occurred to me, like, that there'd be other people who face the same fate, let alone would have this weird connection of having some sort of psychic abilities. And it, I mean, I kind of know, to the best of my knowledge, Dean does not have these abilities like Sam does. He has a very different set of things going on later on, to my knowledge. But... It raises the question, like, why Sam and not Dean? What is the difference? What's the connection? What? It raises so many questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mini story time rant. Remember when we started this podcast and I told you, I'm like, I want to feel that feeling of watching Supernatural again for the first time. 
And like to hear you describe this is basically how I felt. Like I remember watching this like in my bed, on my laptop, in the dark, and just being like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I have to turn on the light because now I'm too spooked. <laughs> it was just like such an important moment. Like, ugh. So thank you for sharing that with me. I feel I really do feel like I'm watching it again for the first time. I'm really glad I could do this. I know that was like really a goal of this show, so I'm happy I could share it with you and I haven't recorded if you want to listen to it. Funniest thing too, if I can just go a little bit into the storytelling of the aspect of this, it goes against so many things I have asked for. I always ask for the like, give me little hints, don't like just blatantly tell me something. But this was such a big reveal that it worked I think it was worth the wait it was worth the reveal it was worth the wow moment so now that we're in there can we talk about how quickly Sam went from like our families are cursed to like you and I were chosen yeah that was a really like that hit me right away that's a weird choice of words right that to me is like subconsciously do you know more than you're letting on like not that you actually know but like does that word come to you for some reason you don't know why Mm -hmm. because that is a weird thing to say that's the second time though remember when he's like something's starting and i was like yo this is weird it's almost like he knows something was hypnotized to forget it but it's like leaking through a little bit I can't tell if it's supposed to be a thing we're catching on to. And that's I'm going to lean on you or we'll get to eventually. Like, are we going to find out that, yes, there's something more to Sam than it makes sense that these are the words he would choose? Or is it just like weird writing? Well, I'm not entirely sure. And that's, I guess, why I want to have that conversation with you. Because when everything does come to light, there there would be no explanation for Sam using this language. And so... Hmm. I'm choosing to look at it as a personality trait because do you remember how reluctant Dean was when we talked about Dean as the chosen one in faith? You know, he was very reluctant to consider that he had been chosen by God to be healed. Sam has no such problem. (laughs) Sam is like, oh yeah, dude, we're chosen. Like we have something, something is starting and we have been chosen to be a part of it. And I just find that so interesting. It's really weird. It's like, I kind of feel like it's it's protagonist in a video game syndrome. I feel like very often if you take a step back from a video game you're playing and you look at the main character and go like, how are you not questioning things? How are you just so accepting of this bullshit? Like, do you not look at people around you and go... Like, and I mean, that's totally breaking the fourth wall of a video game. Like, you have to have some suspension of disbelief. But to then take these characters that have been up to this point and still so real and so authentic and so multidimensional and then to have him say these things that just seem like why would you choose that word right exactly and i i honestly and that's why i'm saying i think it's a personality trait because he has like you can start seeing that he's got like the chosen one syndrome we're starting to see the hero syndrome showing through dean but sam is really leaking out like chosen one syndrome But I think that also kind of comes with Sam's attitude. Sam is a very glass half full, as much as it might not be very evident in every episode. Mm -hmm. If you had to say one is the pessimist and one is the optimist, it's pretty clear that though Dean can be positive, he ultimately has a bleaker outlook on life. And though Sam can often be the one who's panicked or upset or emotional and like stressed and upset, 
he tends to have the more positive outlook. He is more of a like, let me reach out and help you versus Dean who's like, whatever, let's get this done with. And I think the optimistic view kind of leans into these character traits. I feel like if you were to swap them completely and have Dean be the one giving those two lines, they would seem even more out of place and you would probably not choose those words. There you go. So that's why I'm saying, like, I think that this is part of his character and something that we should keep in mind when looking at future episodes and talking about Sam. Yeah, I think talking through it with you now, I I definitely see it more. And I think I will still be curious to see if we could kind of tie more of the there's some reasoning behind the words later. You seem to lean towards no, but I'll be curious to see if we can discuss it more as we learn more. But I think you're ultimately right. I think ultimately it is a, it is a character trait. It is a view of Sam. It's letting us see this through Sam's eyes a little bit in the choice of words he uses. There you go. Exactly. Can we talk about the end of the episode? Because there's a lot to unpack there, particularly when the brothers are talking about what might link Sam and Max. I feel like throughout the episode, we kind of go through phases of this thought process. I think the first thing that they bring up is both our families are cursed. Yes. Which then kind of leads into the no, not our families, we are chosen, which is also weird given how when it's the whole family, it's a curse, but when it's just him, he's chosen. Oh, Sam. Mm -hmm. The perfect Slytherin. (laughs) It's true. It's true. As a fellow Slytherin, I approve. (laughs) Oh my god, are we a Gryffindor and a Slytherin doing a podcast about a Gryffindor and a Slytherin? (laughs) (laughs) But I think it also kind of helps point out the way Sam views his family. Mm. Like, he ran away from John. He still disagrees with Dean fervently on so many of John's teachings and just outlooks on life. That when he has to say something has happened, regardless of whether it's good or bad, in this case I think it kind of leans more to the bad side, he calls it a curse... But as soon as it's happening to just him and it's dissociated from the negativity of John and Dean and his mother's death, it's then a positive thing. Well, I absolutely agree with you. And when you think about it also, I remember talking about how Sam is basically a statistical anomaly, you know, not having had the greatest or the most stable education and upbringing. Mm -hmm. And he still managed to make it to Stanford full ride pre-law. I mean, you know, the chosen one syndrome, you can explain it there, you know? So there's one thing though, and this is really at the very end of the episode where they're, the boys are talking, they've, you know, Max has taken his own life and they're back at the motel. Sam keeps bringing up the similarities between him and Max. Dean actually is pointing out that the biggest difference between Sam and Max is the fact that Sam had Dean growing up. I think that really, you said it earlier, and I think it's the perfect analogy, is Max is Sam's dark mirror self. Mm-hmm. This this whole this whole life is literally a what if Sam was not raised with a father who at least tried to be a better father by comparison to uh, Max's parent, and a brother who took care of him and ultimately was like a guard on top of that. Yeah. If you had to like go back in time and imagine Max in a scenario where he had an older sibling who took care of him versus his abusive father, like stepped in and took the beating to let him get safe and get away and basically to be the dean to his Sam, I believe completely Max would have turned out as a much more, I can't think of the right word to use here. I don't want to say better. But a better adjusted person. A better adjusted person. Thank yeah. you. I didn't want to put any negative stereotype on him for what was yeah. forced upon him. Mm-hmm. 
ultimately what he chose to do, what he did were reactionary to things that happened to him. And while I don't agree with those things, I understand where he's coming from. Oh, totally. I don't know if you caught that, but the very last shot of the episode is like the door of the motel closing on the boys. Dean turns off the light and then the door closes. And to me, like that symbolized like the end of some sort of era, right? Yeah, I was I was wondering what you were going to say because all I could think of was it kind of is like a, it just seems like the end of a chapter. Yes. Like, like I could picture reading any YA novel when I was a kid and getting to the end of a chapter where it's like, oh, and like we just had this amazing reveal and now you're really into the meat of the story. Done. Yes, there you go. And it's, it's so to me, it's like the, the end of innocence mm. because now they're starting to find out what happened or, you know, they're starting to, the puzzle pieces are starting to fit together a little bit better than they were before. Uh, Even more so, I would say it's, we've had this map in front of us this whole time. And now someone suddenly, someone, and now someone's finally come along and said, oh, here's another piece of that map you have. And they're like, there's more to the map than what I had. Yeah, exactly. Like they didn't know there was a puzzle to be solving. There was a, there's a thing. It killed mom. It killed Jess. Let's go get it. And now it's like, oh, it's killed other people. Oh, the other people it killed also happen to be the parent of someone who has powers now. What don't we know? Mm. Oh, which then I'm going to I'm gonna totally tangent for a second here. Sure. What does John know then by comparison? Because John's been after it and telling the boys <laughs> to stay away. He knows more. What does he know? Well, ah. remember that he didn't want Sam and Dean to see him in home. Mm-hmm. Why? Oh, John, why do you know things? Uh. John, Mm. shall we move into critical time? So as we enter critical time, I want to touch on one very small point. We'll see how it goes. And that is the stepmother, uh, who, of course, we just need to get off and say was portrayed by Aunt Zelda from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which (laughs) I adore. Like, I should have crushed on her growing up, just saying. (laughs) So seeing her in this episode, being who she was, hurt. Yeah. And what she was in this episode, and to read an actual quote from the episode, the worst part was the stepmother. She'd stand there, checked out, never lifted a finger to protect him. Hmm. And I think to stand by and watch this happen and do nothing, to have someone, I can only assume, even if it wasn't every time, but for a time at least begging you to help them, and to just nothing, it's dark. It's It's harsh. And I almost think that in a very, I feel really dark and twisted saying this, but I'm going to say it because I want your reaction. I think she gets the ultimate price for that, which is being the only one left alive at the end. Mm. You know, she doesn't get the easy out of being ended. She doesn't get the easy out of having her life taken from her against her will. She has to go on living knowing that everyone in her life that she was close to is gone. And I think if we go back to Dead in the Water, we understand that's, worse in some cases the price she pays is worthy of what she did that is so dark (laughs) i'm sorry it's really dark but i just i i want people to understand maybe they're hearing it now and this is something they haven't thought of and it might be something that if even one person clicks and hears this inaction is as bad as what is being done you know if you see something happening and you have any power to prevent it, make things better, to right someone's wrong, and you choose not to, I mean, 
I'm just going to leave it there for the listener. I will gently push back on one aspect of this. While I entirely agree with you that inaction is complicity, I think that there's also a part of misogyny in saying that the worst part was the stepmother. I think you're right. I think it is an over-exaggeration. I don't think it's worse than what was done. I did resent the fact that they said that the worst part was the stepmother because at the end of the day, the person doing the beating is not her. But I think you're right. I think even in reading it, it didn't click and you pointing it out really like it makes it much more obvious. You're right. It's it's not worse. I feel like that little correction, just having word of that better of like it's as bad that mm-hmm. she didn't do that she just didn't lift a finger would have made this a lot more leveled. Mm-hmm. Is the only word I can think to describe yeah. this right now because I, I I can't say better. Mm. Well, because there's that expectation, right, that women should put themselves in harm's way to protect children from violent men, and just to think about that for a second and pull it apart is just so twisted, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. to begin with, men should not be violent towards their children. And obviously Mm -hmm. I'm not generalizing here, not all men, this is a very specific situation, but I, I just wanted to nuance that a little bit, like nuance that discussion. So if we're talking about delicate situation, I'd like to bring up Max's suicide. Specifically the messaging behind it, We've discussed this in in story time, but Max is really introduced in order to further Sam's narrative. He basically creates like what we've called a dark mirror for him, like how things might have turned out for Sam if John didn't focus on hunting supernatural things, you know, if he didn't focus his aggression on hunting supernatural things, and if Dean hadn't been there for Sam. Because of just how dark they made Max... It was probably then challenging to figure out what to do with him in order to tie up that loose end nicely. And I think that the writers felt like his death would be easier to write than to keep him alive. In this case, taking his own life does two things. One, narratively, it is the easiest way to end his story without making one of the brothers have to do something that they would later regret. And then I think, secondly, it kind of acts as an ultimate level of punctuation to the what-if scenario for Sam. Oof. And I mean, that's that's incredibly heavy, and I don't think taking one's own life should be played off as a metaphor, a simile for the sake of another character. I think that's that's as terrible as the trope we've brought up in the past, the woman in the fridge, or mm. just the idea of, like, you know, brutalizing a woman to further a man's story. This is, I would say, pretty on par with that. It It makes light of a very dark subject. Barely, but it does. But I think that really it does go to punctuate the what if scenario if Sam really had been raised with a less good father than he already had and without the protection of Dean, this is where Sam may have ended up. If I can bring bring it back just a little to something that you said that I think is really, really important. You said, you know, something about without having the brothers having to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, because they again narratively, you can't have Sam and Dean kill him because they don't kill humans, or at least they haven't yet. Um, so who's left? Uh, the stepmom, you know, she as we've discussed, she's certainly not a great person, but she's clearly not a killer either. No, and if anything, I mean, if we can go back to the inaction thing, like, do you really think this is where she would like cross that line all of a sudden? Yeah, and so then what's left? 
So then what's left? There's, there's suicide left. So I understand why it was done this way, but I, I really feel like the messaging around it is really terrible because it's basically saying that the only way for Max to find some peace, to, to stop hurting, to stop having nightmares, is to take his own life. And while I'm not saying that suicide is a failure, it's certainly not a solution to finding peace or healing. I think we've built up Max to still have a connection to his family. There is still a level of what he was taught by his father and uncle and mother, stepmother, in the way he was raised, even if they abused him or through inaction allowed his abuse, they still imparted their way of being on him. And when something doesn't go the way you want, when something is wrong, you treat it poorly, you beat it, you hurt it. Mm. And I think that is him taking that to an extreme level. I mean, it's a very sudden moment in the episode. It happens in a split second. It is, you can see it on Sam and Dean's face. It like takes them completely by surprise. Which to me makes it even worse. But I think that's also the point though. In an ideal scenario where they maybe the gun wasn't present, they would have been able to talk him down. But given that he was already so angry, that he already had the the weapon air quotes in hand, it made it so easy for him to make a decision based on the way he was raised that he is the bad thing in this scenario. The bad thing has to be punished that taking his own life made sense to him in that moment without having the opportunity to be talked down. You know what? I'm actually going to take us on a tangent here because... Please. Remember, if you remember, there's that moment where Dean takes the gun from the, from the glove compartment... Even mm-hmm. after Sam has said very clearly that he doesn't intend on killing Max. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dean takes the gun anyway as protection. And I think that this goes to show how quickly situations can spiral when a firearm is present. Agreed. And that things that, not, that wouldn't necessarily have ended in very dramatic ways might end up that way because of a split-second decision that one might regret later. Yeah. I mean, again, even to go a little further in the episode, we do have a moment where I believe it's Sam who says, if only I had said something different. I, I, I don't want in any way or shape or form to make it look like we're saying, or I'm saying that this is Sam's fault. It is not. No. This was an action that Max took. Unfortunately, his own choice. He was not led there. Circumstances and, you know, nurture and nature and the life he lived led him there. But what Sam says, though, at least, is had they been able to say more, had they been able to have more conversation, it's not a matter of Sam said the wrong things. It's that Sam was not given the chance to speak to him. And again, like you said, the presence of a weapon like a gun that is just instant. There are statistics out there to show that there's much more, there's a higher likelihood of somebody taking their life when there is a firearm present in the house. So I think, I don't know, I'm going to maybe choose to look at it as a message. This wasn't how I wish they had written the episode. Because we're, if, if I can sort of take us back to that discussion that we had about healing versus curing in Dead in the Water and in Faith now, we've had this discussion twice about the false narrative that 
in order to be healed, you have to be cured. That's what Sam, that's what, sorry, that's what Max, ooh, interesting uh, Freudian slip there. (laughs) Um, That's what Max really wanted. He wanted to be healed. One doesn't heal from years of trauma by just getting rid of the people who traumatized him, right? Like you do that over time by working on yourself. But he was looking for the cure. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to start naming names here because this episode was written by the same people who wrote Dead in the Water and Faith. Oh. And that would be Sarah Gamble and Rael Tucker. This is the moment where we're starting to see patterns from the different writers in the writer's room. And this becomes central to the production and the, the critical discussions that we'll have about the overarching decisions made in Supernatural. It does explain why I enjoyed this episode so much. I mean, so far, she is three for three on good episodes, yeah, Sarah Gamble. Absolutely. Just saying. Oh, no, definitely. And three for three on, on that healing versus curing too yeah which is interesting i like that Mm -hmm. as a narrative she seems to enjoy playing i hate that narrative (laughs) it's a false narrative (laughs) no no i that's what i mean i dislike it as a narrative i like the conversation it allows us to have yes and i think in this case we can even read it as this character max believes that he needs to be cured Mm. which is to get rid of all of these negative feelings and in a split-second decision society, the only way to do this is to take his life mm-hmm. rather than, you know, face the fact that that isn't what curing, that it, there is no instant cure for this. It would take time. It would take therapy and self-reflection and realization and growing to get past it. And maybe you never would. Very likely you would never be cured, but you would begin healing. Absolutely. So I think in this episode, despite the fact that it does bring up the narrative that we both dislike, it secretly brings up our point, which is that the only cure to fully remove the pain was to end his own life, which we both know, and I hope every viewer knows, is not the best solution. Something else, though, you brought up, which actually uh, I want to circle back on super quick. Sure. The idea of the gun being such a catalyst in this scenario that it makes things so instant that it becomes, you know, so much easier to choose suicide because the gun is there. And I brought up in the past as well that I'm not a huge fan of guns on television like Mm -hmm. this. And this episode really has a pretty heavy focus on guns. I mean, we literally have a conversation while Dean is sitting there cleaning the entire armory. You know, we've never had this before. We've had them have conversations in many scenarios, whether it be they could have been getting a bite to eat. They could have been doing research. They could have been driving somewhere. They could have been anything. But it had to be Dean sitting there with a, like, pornographic collection of weapons disassembled and, like, laying out on the bed as if they were models and being cleaned and inspected and, like, taken care of like they're living things. And again, from from the from the gun owner perspective, great safety. Making sure your weapons are clean and functional does mean less chance of an issue, whether it be defending yourself and one of it going off or backfiring and hurting yourself. So let's, for yes. anyone out there who is pro-gun, I'm at least saying it's intelligent gun ownership. Mm-hmm. But from a narrative storytelling and writing perspective, it does lend credence to that point, which I hadn't thought of. That the gun is a catalyst. I mean, there's so many statistics about, you know, suicide and gun ownership. There's also statistics about domestic violence and intimate partner murder. 
when it comes to gun ownership as well. So it's, yeah, let's hope that it was done with the intention of starting that discussion, mm -hmm. because I, I think that it's an important discussion to have as a society. I mean, I'm going to take the high road and say it must have been. It was way too heavy handed this episode for them to have that gun cleaning scene and not have it be relevant. Mm -hmm. That just seems way too out of left field for anything on the show up to this point. So I'm going to choose to say good on the writers for using that to at least hint at this conversation we're now having. Yeah. So thank you. Shall we try to get a little upbeat and go into Crossroads? Sure. <laughs> Before we jump into Crossroads, we are going to just say a quick hello to our listeners and remind you, we've had a lot of guests on recently, so we've elected to not do a voicemail this week because we wanted to really take a moment here to just say hi to everyone listening and remind you that we're always excited to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram. I've been favoriting a lot of tweets and like sending Mary little like, I can't believe people listen and love us. <laughs> so to continue making me gush like a little puppy... Uh, feel free to reach out to us, send us voicemails, emails, tweets. We love having that conversation. I love when I wake up to a bunch of messages from Mary about, did you see these conversations and these comments? And hey, give us things to read on air. Yeah, give us things to read on the air. If there's anything also that particularly spoke to you, a part of the conversation that brings up something like a lived experience that you have and that you'd like to share, send it to us, whether that's in written form or spoken form. We'll, you know, we're not picky. <laughs> we just want to hear from you. <laughs> uh, so I think it's pretty evident that I did not like uh, Max's suicide. And therefore, I will wish for it not to have happened. So then that means that they would have had to keep him alive. And then eventually having to, to sort of like close that loose end in a different way. But I think that especially with the show, and I'm not sure at this point if Super... Because Supernatural... Drew, just so that you're aware, then mm -hmm. eventually becomes like a show that's very much like their motto on the show is AKF, always keep fighting. And so it's about like, just never giving up. And so for a show that will eventually have that motto, I feel like the messaging of the only way to find peace is through death is very problematic. And Anyone who has seen season 15 <laughs> will understand that I'm also, I'm basically subtweeting at this point. Um, so yeah, so I think, I really do think that there would have been room for Max to stay alive and that they could have explained, you know, an end to a story in a, in a very different way later on. I agree 100%. I think that as an initial reaction to this episode, that was right where my mind went for a Crossroads deal as well. I think it's a very... I don't want to say like the easy picking. It is a very ripe choice. Mm. And I think it's the kind of thing where you actually could have taught a really good lesson. If I can tangent for a second and just imagine a world where they do talk him down mm -hmm. and they convince him that he needs to start healing and that he should turn himself in and admit that he killed his father and his uncle because of the abuse he had suffered. And he wants to start turning it around. So he turns himself in and you know, whether it's, some how you would tell it down the road without having to go back to him but you know yes he's in prison but he's seeing you know professional help and he's learning to deal with his emotions and beginning the healing process accepting what happened what he's done and moving on with his life exactly i think would have been i mean like it wouldn't have been as easy a writing experience but i think it would have been a much 
better one. Mm. More humane, perhaps. Yeah. What about you, my dear? For my crossroads, it is a bit more of a technical one, but I think it has to do with that cheap out moment where we see Dean die, and it is then revealed to be another one of Sam's waking nightmares. Ultimately, it just cheapens an otherwise great episode, I think. Okay. As much as we've picked out things that we don't love, but at least narratively add to the story, this is the first time we're getting a nightmare without any prelude. It just just flows as if this was the natural way. We don't get that headache coming on and, like, vision starting thing. Which, ultimately, you could have done. Would have had the same effect, but you'd lose the jump scare moment at the end of the episode. Which already had its big wow moment, which was the reveal of Max's mother and him and Sam being connected. So, a bit of a weird one. I'm I'm basically asking to give up a crappy writing decision. And I think the thing I'd be trading is, yeah, we would fix this and you would lose a shitty jump scare moment that I feel like as much as it did have me go like, wait, what? It was so poor that right away I was like, oh, this has to be a gimmick. This can't be real. They're not going to kill Dean. You know, Dean is always killed for shock value and in the worst ways. But I think that's just, that's just, that's writing for television. That is writing for an audience. That is, you want that wow moment that's going to get written about in a clickbait article, as much as that isn't as much a thing in 2005 as it is today. Yeah. You want those moments for, the trailer you want those moments for the you won't believe what happened on last week's episode and it just cheapens a show it does so as much as mine is a little more of a technical rather than a in-universe crossroads deal i just think the show could do better they, they have shown us how to do it like they literally in one episode in two scenes virtually back to back show us how to drop a surprise and have the audience go wow and then do the exact same thing 20 seconds later and the audience go, oh. So accurate. I just, I have all of the thoughts about them killing Dean. In- I, I will be intrigued to see Dean's other deaths and how many, and how one, how they're going to get away with more of them if they're not just more Sam visions. What would you give up? I, I mean, it sounds like a really cheap thing to give up, but I would give up the jump scare. I mean, you're literally doing it to write in a spooky jump scare. However, you could have just written that scene out entirely, honestly. Like, get rid of the, like, surprise Dean get shot moment, whether it be in a vision or a surprise vision. And you could have had a really good end of an episode. You could have maybe given us a bit more time with Max at the end there, even if it was just a few seconds, to deal with things. To Even if it had the same ending, ultimately, it could have at least given a little more time for the brothers to try and save him. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com or mention us on Twitter or Instagram using at carryingwayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. And leave us a review on the platform of your choice. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends.